I'm Gary Bembridge, and this is the Tips for Travellers podcast. Tips for Travellers is the global travel destination podcast focused on tips, advice, and inspiration for time-pressed travellers. Travellers for whom time is precious, and so they want to and need to get the most out of every trip. Visit www.tipsfortravellers.com to sign up for the newsletter, follow me on Twitter, and join the Facebook page. Welcome to the 76th episode of the Tips of Travellers podcast, podcast looking to focus on travel for time press travellers. Absolute must-do tips and advice and inspiration. On the podcast today, I'm going to focus on a major attraction in my hometown of London and something that's really worth thinking about particularly if you have a plan to visit London in summer at any time in summer because it does one does take a bit of planning and I'm going to be taking a look at Buckingham Palace because of course Buckingham Palace is famous icon most tourists will take zillions of photographs of the outside of Buckingham Palace changing the guard but you can actually with some planning, get inside a Buckingham Palace for a very short period of time each year. And it really is worth doing because every summer when the royal family are away on their summer breaks in Sandringham or, or wherever, Buckingham Palace is open to let tourists travel and tour through the state rooms and visit the incredible gardens behind Buckingham Palace. And, and it is quite amazing when you just see how massive the gardens are. You don't really appreciate that when you see palace from the front and in 2012 it was the 20th anniversary of the opening to the public I've been to the palace a couple of times and every time I go I just find it absolutely fascinating and amazing so the question I would like to ask you and me is is it really worth if you've only got limited time in London deciding what to see going to see Buckingham Palace and the answer has to be absolutely yes I mean it's the official residence of the royal family it's only open for limited periods of time in August and September. I mean, it's such an icon. The royal family lives and works here. It's a focal point for every major function. If there's a state visit, it's at Buckingham Palace. And there's big events go on there. For example, the weekly meeting between the Prime Minister and the Queen, when people receive honours. If they're knighted, it happens at Buckingham Palace. So it's, it's just an absolutely fundamental thing. You know, the famous you know, balcony scenes at royal weddings or the Diamond Jubilee uh, or whatever. It, it is just an amazing thing. And to have gone inside, I think, is, is really, really important. I mentioned that it's the 20th anniversary in 2012 of the opening of Buckingham Palace. It was never open to the public. Uh, so the state rooms weren't open to the public unless you were going to an official function. The gardens weren't open unless you were invited to one of the, the big garden parties. But it was opened in 1993, and it was when the royal family was going through a, a lot of turmoil. You know, there'd been a lot of uh, debate and discussion going on about the role of the monarchy. There was a lot of pressure on them to start paying more tax because they paid no tax on any revenue they earned. And, and you know, people were kind of starting to question the role of the monarchy. So the Queen agreed that she was going to pay income tax and capital gain tax and also agreed to open Buckingham Palace during the summer months. And the, the idea was was to help fund rebuilding parts of Windsor, Car Windsor Castle. Windsor Castle had a, a huge big fire, which uh, destroyed quite a lot of the castle and some important rooms. And there was a major renovation that had to take place. 
and it was agreed that you know funds from things like opening the Buckingham Palace would pay for that rather than the the taxpayer uh, and the general upkeep of Buckingham Palace because although it's the home of the royal family the royal family don't actually own Buckingham Palace they don't own Windsor Castle they do own uh, other places like Sandringham is their own but Buckingham Palace is actually state owned so um, they also own Balmoral actually so I should say they're in Sandringham and they're in Balmoral which is in Scotland so as I said, you, you know, there, there was a garden party where, you know, many thousands of people, up to 50,000 people are invited into the garden. And it's various people who work with charities and so on. Uh, there's 30 acres of the garden, but you never really got a chance to go and, 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 and really see. You had to kind of be become uh, President Obama or President Clinton or, or a prime minister of uh, some major country and come on a state visit to see inside. So let's talk a little bit about the history of Buckingham Palace and what you actually get to get to see. So Buckingham Palace originally started actually, and it was just Buckingham House. It was built in the early 1700s for the Duke of Buckingham, hence its name. There'd always, there'd always been some kind of house on the site, but that original Buckingham House still forms the basis of the palace. During the reign of King George III, it became, it, it actually that Buckingham House became into royal ownership, but it wasn't until George IV's reign that it really started to be crafted and turned into a palace. He hired John Nash, a very famous architect, to take the house and really turn it into, into a grand palace. And he was very inspired by French architecture. He spent absolutely vast sums of money on it. They went vastly over budget and Parliament was very, very concerned because Parliament was funding it because it was kind of state-owned. When George IV died, the Parliament very quickly fired John Nash and tried to get the spending under control. They brought in a new architect called Edward Blore, B-L-O-R-E, and he worked with the new king, William IV, and, and it started to get expanded, started to get built on. But you'll find a lot of the, the really magnificent parts of the building and magnificent decoration is by John Nash and thanks to uh, George IV. However, Buckingham Palace still wasn't the official royal residence. That only happened during the reign of Queen Victoria, when she made Buckingham Palace the official royal residence. So although there's Windsor Castle and other places, the official residence is Buckingham Palace. And what they did at the, the time is they added the fourth wing to the building. So they, so they created a quadrangle. So now Buckingham Palace is actually has four uh, sides to it, if you like, with a big quadrangle in the middle. And that didn't, wasn't until the reign of Queen Victoria, so not, not that long ago. And when you think about the palace, what most people think of, because that's the only part you really see, is, is, is what is the east wing that faces onto the Mall. And that's the one with the balcony that you're very familiar with. Uh, you know, this, this is where, you, you know, you have the famous kisses, Charles and Diana, uh, Prince William and Catherine, and, and so on and so forth. So, so that's that's the, the the part that you see, but there are three other big wings to it. During the Second World War, what's not known by a lot of people is the palace was bombed, and it was actually bombed seven times. And during the whole period of the war, King George uh, the, the, the Sixth and, and Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mother, stayed living there all through the war. Princess Elizabeth, obviously the current Queen, and Princess Margaret were evacuated, as many children were during the war. But what the royal family, King George and Queen Elizabeth at the time said is they wanted to show the same solidarity and the same persistence and resistance as everyone else in London at the time. So they stayed there. 
Probably the most serious bombing happened in 1940 when there was a daylight bomb which destroyed the chapel and caused a lot of damage to the palace. But and that was, I think, at the time when when uh, Queen Elizabeth, the Queen Mum, said to that she could look kind of the east end of London in the face because her home had been bombed and and big parts of it damaged as all of their houses were were doing the Second World War. So what do you actually get to see in terms of Buckingham Palace? You only get to see the state rooms in the garden. You don't get to see where the Queen lives and where her bedroom is and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it's it's basically what you'd get to see is the room and the areas that only the distinguished visitors invited to state functions or audiences with the royal family would have seen. So you get to see the, the very grand uh, ceremonial rooms. Buckingham Palace has 775 rooms, 775 rooms. So there's 19 state rooms, which you get to see. There's 52 royal and guest bedrooms, which you don't get to see. There's 188 staff bedrooms, which you don't get to see. There's 92 offices, which you don't get to see. And there's 78 bathrooms, which you don't get to see. In fact, the only bathroom, if you do want to see a bathroom, is a temporary one that's built in the garden for, for visitors. But it's the 19 state rooms that you get to see. So what you do is you enter the palace through what's known as the ambassador entrance. It's on the left-hand side of the palace as you face it from the mall. And you get to see the 19 rooms, but I, I kind of group them in about six or seven groups. So one of the groups is the grand entrance, the grand hall, the grand staircase. This is where the official visitors enter the palace. It's where, if you ever see anything of the Queen being dropped off when she returns from the opening of Parliament or state functions or a wedding, you know, she pulls in into that little canopy area and, and, and enters into the to Buckingham Palace. You get you get to kind of see all of that. And the Grand Hall is, is really very impressive. It's very beautiful. And there's a huge, big, stunning, sweeping scare, staircase that takes you up to the first floor which you then get to actually walk up and it's a very grand, very beautiful staircase. You then see the green drawing room and this is an incredible room with with phenomenal chandeliers and this is where people would wait before they enter to see the king and queen. So you go up the, the grand staircase into the green drawing room and then after the green drawing room you enter the throne room. This is a very grand room. It has two thrones there it, 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 which which is uh, the thrones for Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip. And it's actually the room, this is actually the room that in Queen Victoria's days was actually used for balls. Um, it's You'll probably recognize it more so as uh, where a lot of the official photographs are taken. So most recently, the wedding photos of Prince William and Catherine were taken. But it's the room where if when princes are born or or... Uh, you know, there's a new child or a wedding. It's where most of the official photographs are taken. So, so you may recognise uh, the room for many of those official photographs, and it's quite interesting to go back and look at the photographs afterwards, and you see things that you hadn't seen before. From there, you go into the picture gallery. This is a massive, huge, big, long hall, and it's packed with grand paintings, largely from the collection of George the Fourth. It includes, you know, Rubens, it includes Rembrandt very very grand and you can spend you know huge amounts of time if you are into paintings taking a look at these paintings they must be worth an absolute absolute fortune from there you go into uh, the ballroom now the ballroom is 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 again a room which you may recognize a lot there's this huge organ like massive big organ that takes up a whole kind of wall but this is a very large room it's used a lot actually this is probably one of the most 
used rooms. There's about 20 investiture, investiture ceremonies, uh, which is where the Queen, when people have received honours in the New Year's or the birthday honours, where the Queen receives them and gives them their, their, their honours. It's also usually used for official state dinners because they need to host up to 160 people and they put the tables in like a U-shape. So you again, you'll probably recognize it from, have you ever seen, you know, if uh, President Obama is visiting, for example, or or and there's a state dinner and you see the Queen or him giving a speech to lots of people at, at, at dinner, that's where it is, the, the ballroom. You can then go into the state dining room, which is a smaller room, and this is a beautiful room. It has big windows which overlook the garden, and there's a very large, dark, wooden dining table that seats about 20 people. So this is for kind of more intimate uh, dinners. Then there's a series of other rooms after that, the blue drawing room, the music room, and the white drawing room. And they're kind of interconnected. They're very grand. They're very intricate. And th they tend to be used for more informal events, music recitals. Uh, for example, the music room is also where all the royal children are baptized and water's brought from the River Jordan to do that. Now in the white room, drawing room, there's a very interesting feature which they point out to you, you don't really notice it, but it's one of the large gilt mirrors in the sort of left-hand corner and there's a table in front of this mirror, but actually that whole panel is a secret door and this secret door is the one that opens to allow the Queen to enter the state rooms from her private quarters. But, you know, if it wasn't pointed out, you wouldn't know because there's, there's a mirror and, uh, and this table on the right-hand side, there's one on the left-hand side, and the left-hand side one is a secret door. And they did actually have it slightly ajar so you could see there was genuinely a door there. So those are the kind of things you see, but these are all very grand, they're very rich, they're, they're fantastic. What they also have is an exhibition. And every year there's an exhibition that will focus on a different aspect of royal family life. And, and these are really interesting and, and, and they are different every year. So I guess that's my way of also encouraging people to go back. So give you a couple of examples of some of the exhibitions. In 2009, it focused on the 60th anniversary of the Commonwealth. And what it did is it showed 27 dresses that the Queen has worn on various Commonwealth tours and various gifts re received on those various tours. I actually saw that it was a really interesting exhibition. In 2010, what they did is they focused more on official events that the Queen and Prince Philip have been involved in. They showed some of the more ceremonial clothes that are worn at different functions and some of the, the gifts that she's received while undertaking them. In 2011, it took a slightly different tack and they focused on royal Fabergé eggs, so, so uh, a collection of Fabergé eggs, and also showed the Duchess of Cambridge's wedding dress, which uh, the Queen... Uh, kind of commented she felt it was a bit like a ghost because the way that they had um, displayed it, it looked a bit like it was floating like a ghost. In 2012 there was an amazing exhibition uh, of the Royal Diamonds and what this did is it showed various crowns, it showed various jewels, all diamond, all obviously diamonds as the name would suggest and it told you when they were worn and also how they'd been adapted maybe over time and what was interesting is you saw a lot of items jewels and crowns that you recognize from various formal portraits or you've seen uh, in the press from official photographs. Also what you see, which is amazing, are the jewels made from the famous Cullinan diamond, which was the largest diamond ever found until actually in 1985 they found an even bigger one at the same mine. So every year they focus on an aspect of royal life and you see things that you, you normally wouldn't see. And then there's normally a book that goes with it, like a hardcover book that, that goes with it. 
so that's what you see then in the gardens in terms of the gardens you don't get to see a lot there's a there's a tea room which is right on the palace terrace which is quite nice you can have tea on, on the terrace cakes scones food that kind of stuff you can return your audio tour you can collect any bags that you, you you've done and i'll talk a little bit about that in a second there's a gift shop a temporary gift shop which is after the toilets which i mentioned there's a huge gift shop it's got many many stuff there you know it's got books it's got tea towels it's got china it's got incredible christmas decorations it's got toiletries homeware you know cushions tea towels vast vast collection of of stuff some of which is specific to the buckingham palace tour some of which is sold at some of the other uh, places you can visit like kensington um, palace and places like that then there's a path which you can stroll along the side of the gardens it leads you past uh, the lake uh, but you have to stick on this path and that's basically about 400 meters to the exit where you actually leave leave the gardens a couple of tips if you do want to go to Buckingham Palace booking in advance is critical you need to book your tickets online via the official site uh, it's very easy to find it's probably just best to search for Buckingham Palace or you can visit my, my site and look for Buckingham Palace and, and I've got various links a tour costs about 18 pounds so it's not a cheap tour and you get a timed entry so so basically you know you have a slot i think it's about a 15 minute slot when you you go that's try and control the, the the numbers of people so it's quite good i would actually recommend that you go and try if you possibly can when they're open so the state rooms open about 9 45 in the morning they close about half past six the last admissions at four you need to spend about two two and a half hours but what i would do is book for when it opens because it's much less crowded you know we did that but even part way through when we look back could you do loop back a bit on yourself you know it was starting to get really full um so you know it, it, it's worth booking early if you can in terms of toilets i've already mentioned that there's no toilets uh before you go into the palace there's some public toilets nearby and then you there are some of the gardens so you need to make sure you're prepared for that there's a great audio guide it's included in the price i really recommend it you can flick through stuff easily you know the stuff that you're not interested in but it gives a lot of history it gives lots of fun facts you know like the secret door for example you wouldn't have known that unless you were listening to the audio tour unfortunately there's no photography there's no video so i would strongly recommend the official souvenir book you, you, you know so the souvenir book's got lots of photographs there's two versions of it it seems there's a 70 page 70 um, page book it costs about 10 pounds it's about sort of an a4 size and there's a smaller version which is about half the price but it, it it's it's really worth having because it tells you more and it's quite good to go back and, and look at the pictures afterwards in terms of security you, you have to go through an airport style security system that's also why it's a good idea to start early in the day you don't get caught up in, in a line to get through that you can take you know sort of coats cameras you know a handbag your umbrella you can take through but anything sort of bigger like a rucksack so you need to try and minimize what you take with you um just to kind of speed things up so again to summarize even if you've got limited time in london and but you are going to be there in august or september seriously seriously plan to go to buckingham palace because it's something that many people see from the outside not many people see from the inside so uh it really is worth doing i would strongly recommend it i've been a couple of times now and as i said it's it, it's just fascinating and it's really exciting and there's always different side different exhibitions on which are, are worth doing so that's my tips for visiting buckingham palace make sure you do it make sure you plan ahead and until next time on the podcast here's to great travels you've been listening to tips for travelers the global travel destination podcast 
A new destination with first-hand based advice, recommendations, and tips is added each month. If you subscribe to the podcast, thanks for your support. If you don't, you may want to consider subscribing by searching Tips for Travelers or Gary Bembridge on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. You can then subscribe to the Tips for Travelers Global Travel Destination audio podcast or the video podcast with hotel rooms and attractions. To find out more, visit tipsfortravelers.com, the travelers is spelled the UK way with two L's, or email me at gary at mytravelreviews.com. Co.uk.